Hello and welcome back. In today's episode, entitled, What it Means to Speak to an Adversary, and Still Remain at Peace, we'll explore the challenges of being able to disagree agreeably, and really how that ties into the recent meetings at the G7, the various conversations amongst the world's top leaders, and how that all culminated, not only in a series of conversations that had to do with economic decision-making, but very specifically between a meeting of President Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin. And now that that has concluded, what that means for international relations in the world. But before we begin this series of segments that have to do with this particular episode, I wanted to share a poem that is from a compilation of poetry originally compiled in 1990. And why is that relevant, you would ask? Well, in 1990, this small compilation entitled A World of Hope, which was produced in English and in Russian, is most relevant to today in the culmination of the meeting between President Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin. And so American President Joe Biden was clear in some of his comments as to what the conclusion of the meeting meant to him. And so was Russian President Vladimir Putin. And so I thought that I would begin with this uh, compilation of poetry because it was compiled by Stacy Alziebler. And the purpose of the compilation was for the Santa Barbara chapter of the United Nations Association, whose purpose it is to explore international policies of the United Nations and develop discussions at a community level as to how international policies affect people in communities that we live in. And so in 1990, this series of poems was actually compiled by children from children's poetry that had been written. And I was reading this and I thought, wow, one of these is so specifically appropriate. And it's entitled Sharing, written by Sean McManus. Use the earth carefully, don't you agree? Use the earth carefully, can't you see? That it would be a better place to live if everyone shared. Whatever they could give, can't you see? That you and me can make a better place to be. And as the end of the poem seems so succinct, yet clear in its point, 
one cannot help but really think about the wisdom of this young student who wrote that poem in 1990. The relevance of so much of the conversations that are in the ethos of today having to do with many things from public health to the environment to socioeconomic impacts of both and how we move forward as a world. And so in the next segment, I'll talk about what some of the major conversations were out of the G7. Thanks for listening. And this is your host, Margarita, on the Dew Point Report. Yes, the Digital Electronic World Point Report, where we discuss the duality of our existence in the digital presence and our tactile presence in today's world, and how that parallels within the existence of everything that is occurring. We'll pick up the conversation after this break. Welcome back. You're probably wondering, why did I reference previously the Santa Barbara United Nations Association? And I'll tell you why. I interned with the, the Santa Barbara United Nations Association when I was at the University of California, Santa Barbara. And I had a fantastic experience with them, mainly because there were some wonderful mentors that I was assigned to that provided fantastic insights as to what their experiences had been, not only with the UNA, but some of them in particular, having had worked with particular agencies within the United Nations, and what it was like to actually work within the United Nations. But the mentors that I worked with regularly had such a plethora of knowledge about well, what I was studying at the time, which was political science and international relations, that it really melded the concept together of what it meant to exist in specific communities, but then put everything in context into the world as a whole. And that is why I think it really made a difference. And so I give particular gratitude to the person that I was assigned to the most, and her name is Genevieve Nolan. Fantastic woman. Because she not only participated in so many of the activities that the SBUNA had at the time, but her experience in how she became involved with the United Nations Association was quite heartening. And I'll tell you, she was able to not only be a mentor to me, but also say how important it was to be able to let me also experience new things within the organization. So much so that one year, she said, she would sponsor me to be able to participate as an alternate delegate, which was her delegation assignment 
And she asked permission if I would be able to attend on her behalf. And sure enough, they said, yes, it's possible. And so she sponsored me to go up to, and no less than, for the 50th anniversary of the United Nations. So it was with great honor that I went up to that celebration and was always and continue to be grateful to have been there only because of her guidance and her mentorship. And so when I talk about it today in context to this meeting, diplomatic meeting truly, which it was, between Biden and Putin and what it means in context to the globality of what so many of the conversations are today. Not just about peace, which tends to be a very broad conversation, but about what encompasses that particular idea of peace and what it means. And so the poem that I read did specifically talk about climate, which is interesting that that young man talked about climate in 1990. And here we are, 2021, talking so pertinently about climate change and how it really is on the forefront of so many of our conversational topics. But that is more than just a social, economic, and political conversation. That truly becomes conversation on many levels because it has to do with how things are manufactured, how they are imported, how they are exported, and so many of the details in between. Now, with the conversation that occurred today, some of the answers to the questions actually did have to do with climate change, but I'm not going to focus much more on that. I am going to talk about why the last meeting that Biden had culminated in this conversation with Putin and why it mattered. Now, if you are wondering, oh my goodness, Again, with the conversations about diplomacy and why are they so important? Well, let me tell you. Not only do the adults become concerned about what Russia thinks, about how this conversation went today, which was just over three hours of meetings, but the children are also concerned about why are they critical in the context of the world itself? And the answer to that is truly in the answer. All leaders want people to understand that though Countries may disagree on a policy. There is the ability, when there is respectable disagreement on issues, there is the ability to disagree and then pivot to the next subject matter in such a way that there isn't hostility in the discourse. Now, True. 
When people don't get along, it can easily turn into threats and scare tactics. It can easily turn hyperbolic. Yet, as Biden said, this particular set of meetings, which lasted, as I mentioned, just over three hours, did not result in them becoming hyperbolic. There was simple disagreement. And as these leaders begin to think of solutions, because clearly not all solutions can be arrived at within three hours, but certainly what can be arrived at at the beginning of this conversation is the identification of what some of the major disagreements are. And then their forward is the identification of how to begin to arrive at resolutions to solve those disagreements. And that was one of the most important elements. As Biden said in his comments to the press, of critical nature, to quote, important to have met in person. So there was no miscommunication. He said it's important to communicate directly and clearly lay out values, knowing the tone of the entire meetings was good, positive. Now, one thing is clear that when Vladimir Putin was asked about Russia's role in cybersecurity and the cybersecurity threats that have been happening against the United States, he said that it was not his country that was among the top three countries that are causing cybersecurity threats. Now, who are the top three countries, you might wonder? As one analyst put it from ABC, it is true that the top three cyber attacks are coming from number one, the United States, number two, Canada, and number three, the United Kingdom. And so Mr. Putin was correct in saying the attacks are not coming directly from Russia. Well, he said they're not coming from Russia. But where he diverted the question to give an unclear answer is that it is United States equipment that is being leveraged by Russia to create these cyber attacks. And that is where then it becomes a much more complicated circumstance and situation that has much further to go before it is resolved. And so when these conversations take place, they are very important. And they are essential to recognize that in the world of international relations, the understanding of diplomacy and the strength that diplomacy has, the virtue of meeting in person, is critical. Because to be aware of where the angst is in a country's leadership is essential. As opposed to just assuming one knows where the angst is from reading an article or from 
an analysis or an interpretation that is tertiary to the actual emotion or the actual belief set of the leadership that has created or is implementing the policy. So that is the end of this segment as I've discussed the very last meeting that took place between these two leaders in Geneva, Switzerland. And in the next segment, we'll be talking very briefly about is some of the early on conversations that took place at the G7 summit that spoke to important historical decisions that are beginning to be made that are forward thinking that will truly have lasting impact throughout the world. Stay tuned. Here on the Dewpoint Report with your host, Margarita. And welcome back. It's true. Early on in the meetings of the G7 leadership, Janet Yellen, one of the secretaries of the cabinet of President Biden, participated in early on negotiations of what led up to and included the agreement to accept a 15% global corporate tax, which has specifically to do with corporations which are considered multinational corporations that from their profits would be taxed 15% of those profits to be able to get to as close to parity as one could at a global level for some of what has truly been seen in this current circumstance, which is that of uh, such public health conditions that are so difficult, really the whole world has had to react, that if such thing were to occur again, it wouldn't fall on the responsibility of one or two or three countries to finance the programs. And so what is the forward thinking about this is the ability for there to be an income availability stream that would look towards, and of course the money would be managed globally, not by one country, but the ability for global responsibility to be seen by large corporations because already as it is, if they're making a profit, that they be able to be taxed at the 15% of their profit. And so why is this different than any other conversation had before? Well, although the Biden administration had originally proposed over 20% of a tax, to have arrived at the 15% is one concession, one could say, but it's also a victory. It's a victory in that the global understanding is there that corporations accept the responsibility that exists at a global level for such things as public health so that all countries can properly balance the need 
for access to such things as what we see now, the vaccines. Now, with the record 500 million vaccines that were purchased recently, or agreed to be purchased by the Biden administration, which were the second agreement, the first agreement having been the first 500 million, concluding in a billion, are going to lead to 500 million people across the globe being vaccinated. Now, the expectation from, what does that have to do, you think, of, with the conversation of this global corporate tax? The expectation that if something should happen again in the future, commensurate with what the world has seen with the global pandemic, there would be the understanding that there are monies to be able to manage such responsibility at a global level. Now, because that's a plausible circumstance, then that also allows for conversations that are more palatable and more understandable for many when we talk about the conversation, and I say we, I'm talking about humans, when we talk about the conversation of the theories of Joseph Sack, for example, Sachs, where he talks about ending poverty by 2030. Now, perhaps that goal has been extended by a few decades by virtue of the fact that so many things have gotten in front of the line that have become emergencies. But it truly what this does, the 15% tax, is it creates a revenue stream to be able to manage public health crises and socioeconomic responsibilities. And it really brings many countries closer to parity that, for example, with the vaccines, have not had access to the vaccines at the same rate as other countries who've been able to purchase them outright and distribute them within their own borders. And that concludes this segment, which, though brief, was actually quite informative. Thank you for listening and stay tuned here at the Dewpoint Report, the digital electronic world point report with your host, Margarita. And welcome back. As a bonus segment, I wanted to let you know as a reminder that CBS This Morning had a news segment years ago, I want to say about two, three years ago, that had to do with exercise. And I found it so interesting that I thought I would share it again today and give them a quick shout-out on how great it is when they give these really nifty reminders. Okay, so here it is. 150 minutes of exercise a week can be integrated into one workout into the weekend and be effective. And what they pointed out is that this is really good for busy people because if you wrap that into one workout, well, there you go. You don't have to worry as much about having to do 
lots of a little minutes of exercise throughout the week. And that was your moment of, and that was then. Thanks, CBS This Morning, for that wonderful reminder of how important it is to keep exercise in the forefront of our thought. Hello and welcome back. You're probably curious why I have an entire episode dedicated to the G7, when oftentimes I talk about a variety of subjects having to do with culture and society, which truly is quite a plethora of subject matter to choose from. But this is why. It's relevant, it's specific, to the point that not only are we discussing it everywhere you go, you hear the G7 summit and you think, well, does that truly affect my everyday? And here's the answer. Of course it does. Even though some of these conversations are forward thinking and they are driving policies that are going to be created for the future, they are critical conversations that are taking place between policymakers, decision makers, and this is why it is essential that the conversation be had. And so when I say we are having these conversations, I'm having this conversation with you at this moment, but I'm just one of many because the individuals that are discussing the policies themselves are having them, obviously, in their meetings, in their place when they're, where they are meeting. The individuals that are analyzing the information that is taking place as a result of the meetings are having the conversations. And then as you hear the responses from people who give answers to questions, you think to yourself, now that does affect my everyday life. And let me give you a specific. Now, when people talk about goods and services, when people talk about the, the fact that as restrictions open up in different states and people then begin to think, well, now it's important to travel or it's important to go to different places or now really want to do different activities that hadn't been possible for quite a while such as perhaps a round of miniature golf, for example, or paddleboarding somewhere, or perhaps even taking a climb at a mountain to be able to discover a part of nature that hadn't been discovered in a decade. Say you had gone hiking 10 years ago and you think, well, I haven't done that in a while. Let me try that again. Or if you enjoy wakeboarding, okay, try that again. Or if you just haven't done something that you've always wanted to do, and here you've been thinking about for a year, what would you do as soon as the restrictions are lifted? Well, now's your opportunity to do it. And so that's one thing to think of now as plans are being made. The other is, as people think, I really want to buy that item that I've been waiting for. Either it's a pair of shoes or a new pair of clothing or refurbish the house. Different things that people are planning projects on. So, the second part of that thought is 
the shortage of these particular goods that are being requested. Why is there a shortage? There are various reasons why there's a shortage. There might be different parts that are not being shipped to the appropriate location, which are necessary to be able to build the different items that are needed to be able to finish the particular product that a person wants to purchase. Because any product that someone wants to buy might be made up of a series of either 5, 10, 15, 20, up to 100 different parts sometimes. And as a result, they come from different companies. And those different companies have different situations and circumstances that they too have gone through. From the owners to the employees to the property that they are on as to what they have gone through and how they are also going to get through the pandemic and now in the reopening process how they also begin to reopen and be available and figure out how they get all those parts into the warehouse into the store so on and so forth and then distribute it and fulfill the appropriate order as requested. So uh, all of this is uh, sounding a little micro to many, but it actually is very important because what I'm about to tell you is also additionally essential. Some people are probably wondering, well, no, I've been holding on to the monies that came in, which were part of the stimulus, or I haven't been spending a lot of money because I've been working from home. And so I really want to be able to go and and add my particular contribution to the economy, but how do I do that if what I want to purchase or what I want to participate in is not yet available? It is a little complex, but as many are describing, it's temporary, or the term, of course, in economic terms, it's transitory. What does that mean? This isn't forever. This particular economic circumstance is not forever. It's not permanent. It's transitory in the sense that uh, things will equilibrate again. And I'll tell you why. Many people who were affected are not just the companies themselves, the brick and mortar structures, they also were the individuals. And so not only are the employers trying to ensure that their employees get back to work but as the employees are able to and ready to get back to work they themselves acclimate to the new rules and the new environments within the office within the warehouse or whatever work circumstances are particular to their work environment and so adjustments and becoming acclimated to work environments are very specific. And this is why it's important, because when, then we talk about the next level of responsibility, which is understanding that the pandemic affected not just our immediate circumstances and that whatever we had to be responsible for, the rules that people said, one had to abide by the cities or the towns, urban or metropolitan, that we may have lived in. 
are one thing, but the other is these particular items that are being imported or are being assembled come from different places. And in the fact that they come from different places, they are being made in different parts of either the country or the world. And we must recognize that there is a level of complexity in allowing items to arrive from where they need to arrive. And as such, we cannot be without the level of understanding that the globality of what the pandemic did and how it affected countries at a global level is truly why the G7 summit is pertinent. It always has been pertinent, but it's even more pertinent now with the conversation of, wow, how do we look forward to, if this should ever happen again, averting that the burden should fall just on a few. And so the level of responsibility and how that is shared really has to be understood at a broader sense of understanding. And this is why. I pause for a moment because I want you to think about what I just said. It was quite in-depth. Yes, many things are interconnected. The world obviously is interconnected for many reasons. But one country and another and another having different levels of being affected by the global pandemic fully recognize that as they open up, we'll begin to find their place again in the economic circle. What is the economic circle, you think? In my perspective, it is the concept that every single country has a sense of responsibility to contributing, be it intellectual or proprietary, the understanding that all countries have a shared responsibility to Fulfilling the promise of success for the world's economic necessities. Now, I'm not talking about one economic plan for the entire world. No, no, by, by no means. But I am talking about the understanding that it has been far too difficult, this global pandemic for everyone to go back to any kind of thinking that every country can exist without another country's help or without some sense of shared responsibility. And that in and of itself is why 
when leaders meet, it's important. Now, they may not be able to solve every single concern in the few hours they have. But the fact that they are able to drive policymaking forward in the brief amount of time that they have to discuss the policies that are essential, that makes a difference. And that can be seen in this year's summit. The understanding that, oh, last year was difficult, but this year they met and they had difficult conversations, but uh, interesting conversations and important conversations. And uh, surely, no, they were not angered. They didn't meet in anger. Were they ever not seen the same Opinion as the other? Uh, possibly. But the ability to disagree is essential. And for them to be able to walk away with the possibility that they could perhaps arrive at future conversations that could then arrive at solutions is important. And that is why, to conclude this segment, It's more than giving thanks and appreciation for a global meeting of this nature. It's about understanding that some of the countries that were affected by the global pandemic, that were uh, the parts of the world that have not often had as much economic bandwidth, is what I'll call it. Bandwidth can be used as a term in different ways, but the, re the way that I'm using the word is if countries have a certain level of equity and some countries have more equity than others, then the countries that have less bandwidth to be able to help in a circumstance don't always have as much energy to spend on the same subject as somebody else who has more equity or more bandwidth on a particular situation. Because a country that has more bandwidth I'm not talking about broadband, I'm talking about bandwidth, which is a level of energy, a level, and I'm not talking about energy uh, that runs electricity. I'm talking about your ability to withstand something. Because what I am doing, obviously, is talking about economics, but then I'm also trying to help you understand this from 
a non-economist perspective that there are some countries that because they may not have as many resources aren't able to arrive at the conversations for as much a length of time as the other countries that might stay for a longer period of time and thus they have longer conversations and they're able to meet with more people and perhaps arrive at more strategic planning than some of the countries that don't have as much bandwidth. And so as a result of that, when the countries that have more bandwidth, more equity built into the conversations and an understanding of what is necessary for parity at a global level, then what results in these, from these summits, what results from these summits is the type of proposal as what Secretary Yellen mentioned and put forth with the 15% corporate global tax. Because what it begins to do is bring a level of parity for the very countries that don't often have as much of a voice. And I don't mean a verbal voice. Again, I'm going back to it's the ability to have as much of a piece of that conversation regarding the subject matter to develop the policies that do affect them, such as what I discussed in one of the previous segments, when there are large public health circumstances that require everyone to receive assistance or participate in the solution, yet perhaps not everyone has the economic strength or stability to be able to participate at the same level but everyone is needed to be able to assist all and so i hope that assisted a little bit in helping understand more about the particular summit which reflects reflects <laughs> my Pronunciation is not as clear at the moment as I was saying. I certainly expect that my description of what that particular summit set out to do provided some clarity from a non-economist perspective. Because after all, we are all affected by economic policies, from the policymaker to the policy recipients, from the participant to the person who is an everyday individual, we all are affected. Thank you for listening.